Hey guys, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and you're listening to the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast. And today on the show, Matt and I are joined by longtime Drury Outdoors team member Jared Lurk to discuss trail cameras. Specifically, we answer a listener-submitted question about how many trail cameras are ideal and how to move those cameras around a patterned deer, and much, much more. In fact, you know, we actually end up going into all sorts of interesting tangents, uh, such as talking about wireless trail cameras and the best way to check trail cameras without spooking deer and all sorts of different things. So definitely stick around for this one. And hey, if you're hunting this week, I want to wish you good luck too. So let's get right to it. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. With me today is Matt Drury of Drury Outdoors, and we're answering a listener-submitted question about trail cameras, which is going to be pretty interesting, I think. But first off, Matt, we've got another family member with us today, don't we? There's so many family members of yours on this show. Who do we got? It's like a mafia. (laughs) (laughs) We have my cousin Jared, so this is... Uh, Mark and Terry's nephew. You've seen him on Drury Outdoors DVDs and VHS tapes way back in the day, and uh-huh. and most recently, mostly on uh, Bo Madness as one of the cast members. He's been with us twenty, probably close to twenty years, haven't you? It'll be just shy of that. So since nineteen. 19- 98. 98. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So he's killed some absolutely giant whitetails and he has literally been there with Mark and Terry along the way from day one, just as I have or uh, mm-hmm. Taylor. So it's more actually longer than Taylor. So uh, he knows anything that they know and, and maybe more. <laughs> no, not more. I actually filmed Taylor's first gun kill. Really? At John Williams' place, yep. Wow, that's awesome. And you were there with Mark for Skyscraper. The film Skyscraper, yeah. yeah. A lot of good moments mm-hmm. through the years. Yes, yes. And, it's been and a w- interesting almost two decades, and I can't believe how quickly it's gone. Yeah. And what was that buck, Jared, that you killed a few years ago that you'd been chasing for eight years or something? That was an incredible deer. Yeah. yeah, seven years. And actually, most of the stuff I know about big deer, I learned from him, from chasing him so long. Like, oh. like just the reconics and hunting and all those things. Like most, he educated me so many times over the years that again, I've learned so many things. It'd be like facing Kershaw, Wainwright, Carlos Martinez, Nolan Ryan in his prime as a ball, as a baseball player, every single game. And I, again, seven years, I learned a lot from chasing Hightower to where it's, uh, um, not that I can't still learn things. It's just, I can't tell you what that deer taught me about big white tails. There was a lot of ups and downs through More that story. More downs than ups. <laughs> More and downs than finally ups. Finally connected with him in, a, in the late season with a, with a muzzleloader. Yep. And, and it was a good story. That was on Bo Madness, right? Yeah, yeah Bo Madness. Yeah, I started actually in 2007 with the Reconics and ended it in 2013 again with the Reconics. But what I learned over the time it, times is when he was visible during daylight because of those Reconics photos. Cool. Mm-hmm. That kind of – kind of parlays into what we'll be talking about later on here today with the question of the day it does Uh, have you been have you been out yet hunting me yeah oh yes a little bit you know since we last chatted i was out in ohio for opening weekend down there was super hot so don't have a whole lot of exciting things to share from that one but i can say the one really piece of exciting news for me is that opening day is in michigan this coming saturday and my number one buck that I've been chasing the last two years, I passed him last year, hoping to get a crack at him this year. I've observed him now in daylight four times in the last eight days, I think. And I only got out there, I think, six or seven times to actually see. So he's in a really small area. 
He's daylight active, and oof, I don't know. I feel pretty good about it. I don't want to jinx it, but I, I'm excited. So Those are pretty good, good odds yes, to yes. be seeing him that many times in daylight. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But I hear Jared that that you've been busy too. You're already uh, you and your brother. Yes, so Justin has been on a bit of a dry spell with regards to the bow and arrow <laughs> and big whitetails. He's gotten close but hasn't closed the deal in a little while. So last night we closed the deal. He shot a four-and-a-half-year-old, 140-inch. He passed him as a two-and-a-half-year-old on this farm. He passed him as a three-and-a-half-year-old on this farm and then shot him last night. And there was a couple of, I call it success, September success principles that came together last night. And uh, it was a great evening. And probably the highlight was we had my five-year-old little boy, Henry, who is a chip off the old Drury family block, if you will. He's got <laughs> phenomenal instincts. He knows when to be quiet. He was excited when Justin shot him. And then we taught him how to blood ta- trail deer last night because Justin actually shot a doe and then a buck. And Henry is, uh, he's a little bloodhound now. It was hilarious watching him. I filmed the whole thing and he was like, blood, blood, blood. <laughs> and then he goes, hey, Justy, here's your doe. Like he almost tripped on it. He goes, let's go get your buck. And then That's he found awesome. the buck too. So it was, uh, it's something we won't soon forget because of having Henry there. I've seen the footage. They're both just an absolute smash. They're sitting there in the food plot, you know, per, you know, big green food plot and, uh, they're just chowing away, and this is actually the time of year on 13 we talk about greener pastures, and mm-hmm. it seemed to play play true for you last night. Yeah, there's, so there's my two favorite times of the year are early season on radishes and late season after the rut on sugar beets and winter bulbs, and they do basically the exact same thing in a different way. Radishes, like they'll walk through what you think is the best food source to get to radishes right now. And same thing in the late season after the rut around just a little after Thanksgiving, sugar beets and winter bulbs and maximum, they're just, they're, they're friggin' dynamite. Like it's awesome. It's funny you say that. Cause I have been sitting over, we went on, on the lease that I have, we had, it's all planted in corn right now. Uh-huh. We have two food plots, you know, two biologic plots in last bite, but we went in and, and, Last year, we had observed there's this little staging area, and we hung and hunted it last year in the first phase and the second phase. And we saw all these deer, all these bucks coming out of the timber, going into that um, into that staging area, and then going, you know, one way or the other. So we cut the corn just on the south side of where that staging area was. Mm-hmm. We cut a little quarter acre, mm-hmm. you know, plot of corn and put up a, a ground blind and i thought oh, this is going to be deadly you know and mark it was mark drury's suggestion actually he's like hey that might just draw them if they're already coming to that staging area it might just draw them over the fence and right you know into your spot well <clears throat> the first time out quite a bit of movement there but ever ever since then it's been two weeks i'm not seeing hardly anything on that plot they're in the staging area still really? which is too far out of my bow range right. And and they're still doing what they did last year, but it's not drawing them like I you, you know you always kind of in your mind you think corn will trump anything and cut corn you know would be the ticket and yes. it, it really has not been so far. It is the ticket, but it's during certain periods of the year. And I I've heard Tom Ware and Jeff Lindsay both say they'll walk through cut corn, freshly cut corn, to get to radishes. <laughs> like if you can get radishes to grow and plant them at the right time, like. I haven't seen anything like it. Like it's fishing with dynamite. Well, like, I'm, not I'm kidding. kicking myself because I've missed the winds I needed to hunt my two food plots and yeah. sat up top and kind of pushed it in the cut corner. And I'm just thinking, yeah. all right, <laughs> well, I'm not a might have played this wrong, but you know, you cut never know corn, how to do it. Cut corn works phenomenally well October 25th through about the third of November, and then it works extremely well again in around that Thanksgiving period. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'm actually going in tonight 
once we get done with the podcast and we're rehanging. We should talk fast. I was yeah, going to say, we better hurry up. <laughs> rehanging that tree and trying to hunt the staging area before they decide to go whichever way they go. So oh, we'll see. Man. Well, hopefully next time we've got some good news from you, Matt. Hopefully. Should, I guess with that being the case, though, should we, uh, should we get right to the question of the day so you can get in the tree? Let's do it, man. Hi, my name is Scott Clark, and I'm calling from Ontario, Canada. And I've got two questions in regards to trail cameras. Uh, the first one, do you feel it's possible to have too many cameras on a specific location? Uh, one farm I hunt, I have eight cameras up, and it's only 100 acres. My second question is, during the actual hunting season, how often do you move cameras around the property to try and target and pattern specific deer? Thanks for taking my question, and Mark, great job on the podcast. Really enjoy them. I love this question. I think it's it's something I'm thinking about a lot right now. Um, but Jared, I guess, what are your thoughts on this first? So he had a couple questions in his question. The first one is, is can you have too many cameras? The simple answer to that is no, absolutely not. Eight cameras on 100 acres, I'm all for it. So as I started the top of the podcast talking about Hightower, what, how I figured him out is I ran seven cameras on, a, on my 130-acre farm, and my thought was if he's taking a step on me, I'm going to take his picture, and that's what happened. And I put – the big deal is you can't check them too often. That's the issue with the cameras. Can you have too many? No. Can you check them too often? Yes. Mm. That's the answer. Um, I think since we first started using Reconyx, I bought 10 of them in 2007. I'm now up to about 25. Still the original 10 work yeah. like the day I bought them, which is great. And I just bought some of those new video cameras, which I think will actually take the scientific analysis that I try to apply to a whole nother level in understanding the scrapes. So the second part of the question is, um, how do you move them and set them up? So what I always try to do is I try to put them out the last week in July or the first week in August, August 5th at the latest. For whatever reason, if you put them out and put them on, what I've noticed lately is analogics is the friggin' hot magnet ticket. Like I've put them on a, over corn and all kinds of different supplements over the years, and you get some good response, but analogics will get all of the buck pictures taken, at least on my farm in Iowa, in the first 36 hours. And then normally at hour 37, the analogic is gone. No matter how much you put there, it's gone. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy attraction. It's a crazy attraction. So I try to put that in and around the food plots I plan to plant. In, in those places. So 25 cameras in and around the 20 or so food plots I have. And then what I'll do after that first analogic round, I'll let them soak, if you will, for 10 or 12 or 14 days when I come back to plant the food plots, change out the cards, keep the cameras in the same location. And then I'll put the card there not over analogics, but will be over the food plot to see it growing and see what's coming and when they start hitting mm -hmm. it, actually. And then finally, I try to move them, uh, several of them, not all of them, but about probably 10 of them, I move to what I call perennial scrapes or the hub scrapes or the scrapes that show up annually, the big scrapes that all the deer hit. And I'll move that in and around. Generally, I'll try to anticipate the first scraping activity, at least in Iowa, starts around the 16th, 17th, 18th of October. And if I can, I'll try to move them right prior to that. So I'll literally put them on a tree before the scrape's actually there gotcha. and get the first scraping activity. So what's so funny, I go all the way back to the high tower in 2011, or excuse me, 2010, 2011, and 2012, he hit the same scrape on the same day within an hour wow. of each other at 1 a.m., somewhere between midnight and 2 a.m. in the morning, three years in a row Creatures on the same scrape. He, he at least was. They, they aren't all, yeah. but he was and Klondike was. And what's interesting is 
uh, deer have more human characteristics than people give them credit for. Like there are deer that are roamers that you'll see, it'll take one or two pictures of and that's it. And then there are deer like Hightower and Klondike, which is why I think they get so big is they don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. They stay at home like, uh, yeah, Hightower lived on maybe the same 200 acres his whole life and very rarely left it. And Klondike, he actually changed his patterns, but when when if you could get his pictures on a couple cameras, he was in that same twenty to forty acres, which is why I killed him last year. Then because he actually moved his home core area about two years ago, and it took me a little bit to figure it out, but I figured it out and saw where he was, where he summered is also where he wintered. And once the rut was over, he came right back, and I think I shot him last year on the twenty first, and he literally I had t- no pictures of him and shot him the first night he showed back up on the 21st. And that deer, Klondike, mm-hmm. we're actually editing right, right now, now here in the studio. It's going to be our newest episode of DOD TV on YouTube. So nice. that's kind of a cool – it's neat to hear you talk about it because yeah. we're literally we're working on it right now. I guess now. I forgot that. Yeah, no, like I've lived it in my mind in my life, but no one's seen it. I actually hunted Klondike for five years, yeah. for seven, and then it's two, the 280-inch deer I've killed. But again, I've learned the most by trying to figure them out. And what's sad is – I don't pay attention to some of the smaller deer like I should. So this year I went and looked at all my cameras. There's no Hightower. There's no Klondike. And I'm looking at 10 to 15 shooters, and I have no idea who any of them are because I haven't paid attention to them yeah. the last couple of years because I set my sights on big deer and then waited until I accomplished the goal um, to, to, to look at other shooters. Well, now you have a, a lot more to choose from. Yeah, I do have more to choose from now. So put the cameras up in August, late July, August. I think Mark puts his out probably mid-July. But yeah. the thing I forgot to mention is – for whatever reason, in their rack development and putting them on analogics, they seek out the mineral that's in Annie at that last July and August period, and literally you can get all the deer in, again, 36 hours. Yeah. They'll, they'll yard up, and they'll come from everywhere to eat the analogics. They eat it down, and mm-hmm. then uh, you get them on the scrapes again that October 17th, 18th, 19th, 21st period. The, the one thing I've always heard Mark say is <clears throat> putting a camera out for every 50 uh, acres, roughly, roughly have a camera. So that that would be another general kind of mm-hmm. rule of thumb. Every fifty acres, you know. So if you got two hundred, you get what four cameras. And- yes, yes, exactly. And you, you can actually put more than that depending on the deer density and the type of cover. If it's fifty acres of timber, that's different than fifty acres of solid brush, sure. which is different than fifty acres of ag. So if it's like deer, I think what he's saying there is like deer habitat, where it's big timber, brush, and agricultural about yeah. one per fifty. Yeah. For the for most people, honestly, it's probably one per one hundred. Yeah. Um, on the 300 acre lease that Justin and I were on. Uh, right now we're running four of them. So we're just under, we're yeah. probably at one per 75 That's, actually. My lease is a 382 and yeah. I have, well right now I have, see I'm thinking here, I have four out right yeah. now. And usually I'm running three, but right now I have four out. And that's, and it, most of that's ag. You know, I mean, heck, there's probably only 100 acres of actually mm. huntable mm-hmm. land on that. 400. I got you guys beat on that one. I've got four cameras on 45 acres of timber in one spot. <laughs> that's to get Holyfield, right? It's, this is actually in Ohio. Oh, Holyfield's not too far from it. <laughs> that's why I like his question. Can you have too many? No. It, honestly, you can have as many as you can afford. Mm-hmm. And and it's the acquisition cost is one thing. Then the upkeep and the batteries is a whole different yeah. ball game. Like yeah. uh, um, buying yeah. new cards for these um, – video camera cameras yeah. and all that stuff. And then what I just learned is they'll chew through Energizer Lithium oh. much quicker if you're taking video versus pictures. So I've been having issues with my video camera. And I so I, the last couple of times I went up to the lease to check this, I only have one video camera. camera. And uh, I check it and it said, you know, as soon as I open it up, it's like, 
a low battery on such and such date, which was like two weeks. Always, it's like a week before, ten days before, and and I check it, and I'm like, all right, I had 50 pictures, all of me or videos, all of me from when I put it out, and yeah. then it stopped. Uh-huh. And know. so I, but then I'd check it, and the battery showed half full. I'm like, well, surely it could keep going. So I tried it one more time. That's a mistake. If it says low battery, change your batteries. <laughs> that was a rookie mistake because <laughs> I went another 10 days with no pictures except of me the day I put it out. Oh, man. So. That's the problem with the cameras. If they're not doing the work or not functioning correctly, then you lose all that information. <laughs> then, this isn't part of his question, but I think it's an important answer, and that is if you go back to what Mark just did on Facebook Live – and him talking about, I guess it'd be between phase two and phase three right now, him talking, someone asked the question, what's the most important tool you've had in your career? And it's these Reconyx game cameras. Like he, Terry, myself, probably you have learned more about these deer and gotten better at deer hunters because of these trail cameras. It's not just take a picture, see a buck, go hunt buck. It's when did he move? Why did he move? What was the pressure? What was the weather front? What food source? Yeah. Was he on a scrape? Was he in his bedroom? Was he daylight? Was he 3 a.m.? Figuring all these things out and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together to maximize your odds when you go afield to kill I'm, the deer. I'm still working up to that level. Yeah. I'm still – see picture. Okay, deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay, picture. we got, got a shooter. I got a buck. <laughs> But Mark, you were telling me last time that that you use a program. You actually have been diving in to see Holyfield's patterns, and it was really interesting to see what winds you're seeing yeah. and where. Dive into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a huge, just like you said, Jerry, taking that next step to when you really start diving into all the minute details and variables, and then analyzing that. There's some big eye openers that can happen if you start going to that to that level. So, like you mentioned, Matt. I started doing this this year with a tool called Deer Lab, just a website, DeerLab.com, and it just allows you to upload all your pictures, and then it, it pulls in all the different data that, that goes along with each one of those timestamps on a picture. So if there's a picture taken yesterday at noon, it's going to pull the temperature, the cloud cover, the moon phase, the pressure, um, you know, everything like that, time of day, etc. And then it aggregates all that data, so then you can start... And you know you could do this with a tool like that, or you could even do it at home. Just start recording this data, you know, in a spreadsheet or something. Um, but what it allows you to do is you can um, get a phone call. <laughs> it allows you to, you know, start looking at aggregate data for specific deer. So in this case, you know, Holyfield, this buck I mentioned, I'm, I'm chasing. I was able to take a look at all of last year's trail camera pictures and sightings, and when I looked at it from a high level at aggregate, you know, rather than just saying, "Ooh, big buck." Now I can see, wow, over the course of the, the 16 different daylight pictures I have of him or whatever, 95% of them happen with a southwest wind um, or you know, all sorts of different things like that that I never would have seen You know, just look, taking these things as individual pictures. Um, so it's awesome. Yeah. So, so it's a website they can do. So like Mark and I are doing it in our head. Like yeah, this that's web- what I'm saying. Yeah, this, this is website. Actually, this tool's doing yeah, it for Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super helpful, and there's there's a couple different options out there. This is what I'm trying right now, and um, it I think you know no matter how you go about it, just taking that step to where you start paying attention to those details and try to analyze it, it's one of the like you guys have been talking about, like Mark and Jared. You know, it's one of the biggest steps you can take as a hunter, and yes. I'm hoping it's going to pay off for me in a couple of days. I, I, yeah, I hope it does too. Like that's what you just mentioned there is outstanding. Like I probably wouldn't have noticed mm-hmm. what you just said about he moves during the daylight on a southwest wind. So that's kind of interesting because, again, they're habitual. They have more human characteristics, most of them, than we give them credit yeah. for. And um, if they're going to get up – and the big deal you just mentioned, 
daylighters, yeah. daylight walkers. Like yeah. you can hunt during the day. So if you take a picture of a daylight walker, figure out why he's on his feet and where he was and how you get there without him knowing yeah. you're in the area. That's the tough part. Yeah, that, it, and it is. And if it was easy, we would we would, we, when we kill more. We probably wouldn't like to do it as much, actually, because yeah. it, it is a it's a challenge. And then you take that challenge to like the nth degree. Mark with Bucktober, me with Hightower and Klondike, and that is the biggest deer you know of. Yeah. that are they're big for a reason. It's kind of like I hate to use this analogy, but I can use it with my wife, the pretty girl at the bar. Like she's very difficult to get on a date <laughs> and to talk to and to marry and all of those things. And they're pretty and they know it. These big deer are big and they know it. I'm convinced of that. Like if you've ever seen a big deer walk on a field Every with other deer, deer is like, they'll look at them. Like, oh. It's like parting of the Red Seas. Yeah. They'll move away and they just walk out like not only do they know it, all the other deer know yeah. it too. It's funny. Like even last night I'm sitting there in the blind and, you know, like an hour and a half has gone by. We haven't seen a deer. And I'm, Timmy and I, my camera guy, we're looking at one spot. And I said, he goes, I've visualized this deer walking out like 50 <laughs> yeah. times right there. And I said, you know, I find myself doing that, you know, 40, 50 times a, a fall. Yes. And it never happens. They never do. That's yeah. <laughs> so true. Very rare. So when it does happen, it's just like all these things have come together. But to your point, being able to study the trail cameras and going the extra step to, to – better your odds, I guess. Absolutely. You know, that's what we're all trying to do. As best you can stack the deck in your favor. And it's it's still, even then, it's not an exact (laughs) science. And they got to get up and do what they're supposed to do or what you predict they're going to do. And then then what you don't understand is, did somebody intrude on my farm? Was there a coyote, bobcat, turkeys could scare them? Who knows? Happened to me last night. We're sitting there. The conditions are perfect. You Mm -hmm. saw it. You guys were living it. That's why we went last night. Yeah, me too. And so quarter to five, Two, two little bucks pop out, and I'm like, it's early movement. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, it's tonight's the night. It's yeah. going to happen. And then they took off, and here comes a bobcat. Yep. And a, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes later, and they were, you know, they were acting weird. I'm like, well, the wind's blowing right at me. I'm right. not, there's no way they winded us. And One predator can ruin it, your it, entire This bobcat game. came out in the cut corn, and he mm-hmm. looked around. And he was a big bobcat, and he walked down the corn. I'm like, well, he screwed us for the mm-hmm. night. I mean, it's and, and literally, we didn't see – Another deer until we saw a bachelor group of bucks come walking. Literally every buck I had on camera except the four shooters I was after <laughs> come right <laughs> at us. Come right at us, you know, at 7.15, you know, it's too late and all. It right. took too long. and But it was amazing. It, it, it delayed the movement that much. Because of the predator. Because of the predator. Which he didn't ask this question and Mark said it in the Facebook live post. The other thing, that's the thing you can't underestimate with these whitetails and that is you're a predator. You're the ultimate yeah. predator and whitetails won't let you know when you made a mistake. But yeah. just remember that like they know you're a predator. Just yeah. like they knew the bobcat was there. Mm-hmm. Like If you underestimate the whitetail outside of all this analysis and stuff, underestimate their ability to survive, that will decrease your odds as a hunter. The thing I'll say about that point is, which I brought it up myself – Think of another animal that covers the range and the temperature and the climate and the varied conditions of a whitetail. There's not one. They mm-hmm. live in almost as far north as moose in Canada and they live down into Mexico. Mexico There's yeah. no other big game animal on this planet that has the range and the adaptability of yeah. a whitetail, which is why they drive us all nuts Yeah, because <laughs> they're really difficult to kill. And they're really good at surviving. And you go all over those places to try to run into yes. one. <laughs> but they're really good at surviving. They're really good at adapting. And they're really good at outsmarting yeah. predators. Yeah. Which we- the other night, 
Adam Wainwright, he's my lease partner, yep. and he comes home after he, he they won the ball game that night he, that he started. And I, I woke up at you know five thirty, and I look at my phone, and I got a text message from him at midnight. He said, "I just pulled into my neighborhood, and there's a dang old one fifty. <laughs> he's like, "That's got to be a good omen. We're gonna kill you know hook this mm-hmm. year." And it just it's funny because it's on your brain mm-hmm. all the time. All the time. <laughs> So I want to rewind just a little bit back to Scott's question because one of the main things that you had said, Jared, about you know whether it be how many cameras you have or if you're moving your cameras, the big, you know, the big variable is how do you check them or how do you move them? That's probably the most important thing. Can you elaborate for us on exactly how you do those two things? You know, how often are you checking them? How do you go about checking them? What different things are you paying attention to when you go in there? All that kind of stuff. So if it's the first camera set of the season, analogics, you can check them within five or six days once the analogics or the corn or whatever's gone, seven, eight days maybe. Then I let them go for, after that, I let them go for a long time. And then prior to the scrapes, here's the big point, which is ties into that predator piece. If you're going to move them to scrapes or you're going to go check them on a scrape, I suit up like I'm hunting. Mm. I don't check them if the wind's wrong. Like if the wind's blowing from the scrape to their bed, I don't go check them. I wait until it's right. It's almost like... You've got to apply some of that analytics we were talking about earlier to make sure you don't let them know you're in their area. Like going in to a hunt and checking it on your way in. That's the biggest time I do it, right? Check the camera too or on the way out of a a hunt or something like that. So it honestly, it depends on the weather and the conditions and what I'm trying to figure out to check the camera because you can't, you can't like go in and talk loud or drive your truck up to a camera and then two days later expect to hunt that spot and not have, um, thought you disrupted animals. So Mark made this point a couple years ago, which is oftentimes the better buck pictures you'll have will be four or five days after you've been to that camera. Mm, And that's consistent on across 25 cameras annually. And the reason is it's the human intrusion when they're they're hard horned. So what I'm talking about here is hard horned animals. A white tail that's in velvet is a little bit less wary than one that's in hard horn. So your intrusion plays a factor in when you'll get that buck picture. Makes sense. Uh So... Now moving to the how you move them piece yep. of it. You mentioned that you're you know you're running these cameras in certain spots over food plots in the summer, and then in October you shift them to, to scrapes. Is yep. that a rule, or do you ever find yourself in a situation? You know what I kind of imagine. I'm gonna make I'm making some assumptions here about Scott's situation, but let's assume that I'm right on this, and he's like he's got a big buck in the area he knows about, but he's trying to zero in on where to hunt it. So I'm wondering if you know he's thinking, should I put one camera on this trail, another one on this pinch point, and then another one on this food source, and then a week later, should I move them around different spots? I'm just kind of curious for you, Jared. Do you ever break outside of that typical food plot to scrape? process or pattern um, and try to do more of this kind of run and gun trail camera analysis? I, I don't. I see where you're going with that. So I put them on food plots. I'll move a third of them to scrapes and leave the rest of them on food plots. And the reason I'm doing that is I'm trying to monitor where the deer are going to be during daylight walking, if you will. So like I don't put a lot of them on trails. I do put a lot of them in fence gaps if I can't yeah. find a scrape to, to, to where the structure funnels the deer, if you will. But I don't move them that often like I'll – because it's 25 of them, so it would take you a week to, to move them all if you want. But <laughs> yeah. I put them all up and then I'll move again about a third of them to the scrapes and then that's it. I leave them there the rest of the year through January because I want to monitor and I want information on where I'm going to be hunting yeah. and looking for those daylight walkers. That's the holy grail, the daylight <clears throat> walkers. Well, and the, it, it, 
typically you're setting them close to where your stand or your setup is. Most for a of reason. my cameras on the food plots yeah. are either at the base of the tree or very close to it, so yeah. I can get an accurate snapshot of the food plot that I haven't been to in two to three weeks, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Because the other thing about it is. I don't hunt that much. Like I have four kids at the age of seven, so I have to be very efficient of my time of field. And I'm looking at the weather fronts and trying to target one or two or three days, day of, day after, first south of a weather front. Yeah. Um, and I let those cameras do the hunting for me. That's the beauty of them. You've tried a, one of the cell phone cameras. Have you had much luck with that or no? I know that technology is not the best yet. Yes. Um, so they drain your batteries just severely like they'll last four or five days and that's it. Wow. So the theory is great, yeah. but the execution isn't quite there yet. I mean, you can set a whole big solar panel and all kinds of things up, but then it looks like you're setting up an uh, electric substation there yeah. for the deer. And I, for some reason that just doesn't seem that natural to me when those cameras are real small. Yeah. So I, I uh, like them in theory, but I haven't really had a great luck execution wise. Yeah. I've picked up two this year for the mm -hmm. first time. Yeah. Um, so I am trying one of the Bushnell versions and one of the Moultrie versions. Uh -huh. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, the Bushnell one has lasted me over a month on that set of batteries. I think um, I saw Jay Gregory did that same yeah, thing. and that's what I was he just going to say, Jay swears by them. Like, I think yeah. most of Jay's cameras are those. But yeah. the, the other issue is most of my farms are in spots you can't get a cell yeah. phone signal. Like, that's yeah. part of what makes them good deer farms. They're off the beaten path, yeah. particularly in southern Iowa. You, I can't get a cell phone signal on my iPhone, and which is why those trail cameras don't work that well. But if you're in an area where you can, I know there's parts of Ohio and Indiana and even parts of Missouri where you can get great cell phone signals. It might be worth a try. But then I think they're cost prohibitive. Like my cameras cost 25 bucks a month to run. Oh, how about how about your setup? Yeah. Are you in Ohio or in? in so, so the one I've got one in both. I've got one in Ohio, one in Michigan. Um, the one in Ohio I just put up this weekend, and it's one of the Moultries. And I'm still trying to figure it out. It was a little bit trickier to get set up because you connect. You have a separate modem that you connect to the camera, and then it was just a little bit trickier of a process. So the verdict's still out on that one. Um, the the Bushnell. Tricky for a technology guy like him, my guess is it's tricky for everybody else. I was just saying, I, like, I was like, Dad, Dad would be screwed. Right. <laughs> T-square, Terry right. technology. That's a good point. <laughs> As are most deer hunters. I mean, yeah. I don't want to generalize it, but like by and large, safe. Uh, lion share of the deer hunters I know are not technology gurus. If you're listening to this podcast, you are probably more you technologically did, yes, as true. Most guys, right? I yes, mean, this is like the top 5% of techies in the hunting world. <laughs> so how about your Bushnell camera? Yeah, so so it's not cheap. I mean, the camera itself, I think, was like 400 bucks or something like that. Um, so obviously, it's an investment. For me, I was like, okay, well, to be honest, this one I got as a review model, so I didn't pay for the camera. Um, but I am paying for the monthly service, and I think this one's like 15 bucks a month. Um, and my plan is just, I'm just going to pay for that service during the hunting season. So sure. I figured, you know, an extra 45 bucks for the hunting season, that's worth it for me. Um, and the way I'm using it in this case, and it kind of pairs in nicely with what, what you were talking about, Jared, and the fact that you don't hunt a lot. I try not to hunt this main property a lot, not because I have kids or anything, but just because it's in Michigan. And any time I hunt that property or walk out there at all, it makes an impact. These deer are hunted from every single different side by tons and tons of people. So I'm like, kind of on the border like obsessively careful about ever going in there so i've got this back food plot that's kind of in the core of the property awesome place i haven't been in there since late august and my plan is not to go in there once ever for any reason at all until i get a daylight picture of a mature buck back there um 
So that's how I'm using this camera. I'm hoping it's going to allow me to know the right time to go in there and to, to put no undue pressure at all. Um, so I we'll like see. The, I, I can't disagree with the strategy at all. I like it. It, yeah. it gives you real-time information yeah. as long as the camera's functioning, which is and great. And you don't have to go in there to check it even better. Exactly. Because that, to, to what you said earlier, Jared, that's the biggest thing. You can have all the cameras in the world, and that's awesome. But if you're going in there to check them every few days or something like that, you're going to you know, you're going to ruin any chances of seeing those bucks you get on camera. Well, the cameras now are, they're becoming more and more technologically advanced in what they can do, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not shameless plug. I know I get killed over saying these kind of things, but Reconyx, obviously we talk about it a lot because they've been a long partner of ours, but they're coming out with a new camera and this camera allows you to open up their app. And if you're in eye distance of this camera, you know, I, I don't know what the range is, but you know, say you got it out and you're sitting in your tree or you're sitting in your blind, you can check the pictures on the camera oh, nice. from the app without ever having to go over there. And that's huge. Like last awesome. night we're sitting there and I'm looking at this camera that we hung Friday and I'm, I'm looking at it and there, Tim's like, you're wanting to go check that. I was like, I want to, because <laughs> I got to put my scent over there. I'm you're, not going to do it. Your scent and your track. And like, yeah. if you've ever done that and made that mistake to go yeah. check the camera, you will stop every, not the bucks probably, but the every doe on their yeah. track smelling what you yeah. do. Yeah. And no I, matter, it's killing me not yes. to look at it, but I, great I'm addition. Like, if I'm sitting here, I'm not going to, you know, if the point is to hunt the spot. Yes, I hung the camera to see what's in the spot, but it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> I'm like, if I kill one, I'll go check it. But yep. tonight, I'm believe me, I'm going to figure a way around somehow to go check that Lots card. of big leaps. Yeah. <laughs> Must track. It, it's killing me to not know what's if, if right. they're hitting this plot, this cut corner or not. If they're not, I'm wasting my time, mm -hmm. you know? So in that instance, one of the things I will do is if I know I'm going to hunt it two or three days in a row, I'll hunt the spot. Go check the camera on the way out. Yeah, because yeah. they'll smell the fresh boot track the day you check it, but 24 hours later, I don't know if that scent point. is strong enough to stop a doe. So I should have done it last night. <laughs> I um, at the so, yeah, at the risk of again, like you mentioned, dropping too many products here. It's okay. I'm <laughs> there's as the viewers know there is one product and and they're not a sponsor or anything just a product I've used that has really honestly helped me with this and it's nose jammer I don't know if you guys have tried it Mark yeah. uses it actually I know people that do I haven't and they're not a sponsor to yeah. take that <laughs> and it seems like so gimmicky like I've seen it for years and it just seems like oh this is stupid I'm never going to use that but I kept having friends tell me about it and so I finally started doing it you just spray it all, all over your boots and I just I can't deny it. Like I've just seen so many deer that in the past would cross where I walked through and they would smell you just like you mentioned and they'd spook or you'd be blown out and it just doesn't happen anymore. They, they smell something, but they're just like, eh, what's this? It might be a little curious. Camera on my way to the spot. I mean, the buck. Whatever's in it, there's enough of it that it masks the human scent so they don't pick up the, they're just like, this is weird, but it's not a predator. I'll keep moving. Yeah. Right? It's just like a, that's the deal. Their prey so they're trying to sense predators, and we're a big one. Yeah, yeah. It's from what I understand, it's a concentration of vanillin extract, yeah. which is just so overwhelming of a scent for a deer that that's like all they get. Jam. Um, it jams them. Yeah. yeah. So um, the buck I killed in Montana at the beginning of September, there was another eight pointer with him that walked right to where I walked through, and I saw him walking towards the path, and I'm just like, fingers crossed, like please work, please work, and he gets to it. Puts his nose down in the trail, and I'm just like, this is the moment of truth. Sniffs around, 
and I see my big buck a little, you know, 10 yards behind, and it's, you know, it's all going to depend on if this first one makes it through or not. And he pulls his head back up, keeps walking, and I just had the hugest sigh of relief, and I knew right then, okay, I'm, I'm killing the steer. Yeah, um, that's a good feeling. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the best feeling. <laughs> so interestingly enough, when we're hunting, we always have two people, and you were talking about laying a track down, which I might try this nose jammer. Did you just spray it on your boots, the bottom of your boots? Yeah, spray it all over the sides and the bottoms of your boots. So we're laying down 100% yeah. more scent than one person, so there's two of us. And what I always try to do is walk in a single-file line yes. to lay down one scent track instead of somebody to the left or the right of you laying down two scent tracks. Yeah. I'm always cautious of that, I'm hoping yeah. that my, you know, if the camera guy's behind you, usually you're hoping mm-hmm. that he's just falling right behind you. Yes. But so. I'll try the based on uh, his recommendation there. You're not the first person I've heard to say in certain instances, if plied correctly, this yeah. stuff works. So yeah. I'm going to try I that. tried um, – Way back when we were sponsored by Simplocker, we used to use that Trinity spray when mm-hmm. they came out with it. I was in Walmart the other day, and I was like, shit, I'm just going to buy some of this. So I yeah. tried it. I picked it up. and So I sprayed down real good with that you know, the last few nights out. and It, it always worked well when we used it, and yes. I, you know, we believed a lot in it. So I'm going back to it and trying it out again. So if I understand what's in Trinity correctly, what it does is keep the scent on you. Okay. Okay, so it will work great for everything but the bottom of your boots. Uh, great. <laughs> the nose jammer works for the bottom of your boots because you're laying down a scent whatever. Like okay. even if it's keeping it on you, you're still going to lay that scent down. That's why the nose jammer on your boots might work actually quite That's well. good to know. I'm going to have to get some. So put all these things together, which I'm wearing a scent crusher thing here today. Um, if, if you go back to Mark's live Facebook post, one of the things he said, which I learned this last night, we ran two ozonics. And we scent crushered all of our stuff. Yeah. And we had does walk through our wind. They got a little goosey, but they walked through it and yeah. ate anyway. Yeah. And I've never seen that happen before. And what Mark said is that works really well on high-pressure days. Yeah. If you scent crusher everything for 30 minutes, I actually did it for 60. Sorry, Chase. Yeah. Um, but I did it for 60, my stuff, Henry stuff, and Justin stuff. And then we ran two ozonics all night, and we had does walk through our wind. We which ran is two last awesome. night as well. And it just it's any advantage I think I need, yeah. I'm going to try. It, yeah. So nose jammer, here I come. <laughs> you know, the one other, a lot of things we just talked about, whether it be an Ozonics machine or I don't know how much the scent crusher bags are, but probably not cheap and nose jammer. All these things cost some money. I understand that. It's yeah. an investment. But uh, one, here's one bargain, bargain hunter tip for you. A friend of mine, he hunts properties around cattle. So he'll just walk in a bunch of cow patties before he <laughs> hikes into his tree stand. And that's it, his alternative. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, I don't know if it would work, but it, might. In theory, yeah, in you theory, would think it would. You're right. Masking you, your scent. Correct. But the big deal is you can mask it and cover it and try to change it all you want, but it's still there. Yeah. Um, so the big deal with why Trinity and all those sprays and the scent crusher and all that stuff, why they work is they keep the scent on you yeah. or cover them as opposed to letting it fro- flow freely. And then I guess the cow patty thing is it would work like nose jammer, which is just overwhelming Overwhelming. factory sense yeah just slightly less pleasant for you the hunter yeah yeah i'll try the nose game instead and and if you're two guys walking out you want to be the first one climbing up your stand if you're out patty right (laughs) the second guy not so much very true and i would say of course you know the best case scenario is just to play your wind right so you're not worrying about this but these are you know like you said matt you have to take every possible advantage you can because so many things are out of our hands when you're hunting a mature buck. There's so many variables that are completely out of our control that I always tell myself, you know, any tiny little thing I can stack on my, you know, on my side of the table, do it because we need every little bit we can get. 
every single edge advantage widget uh, gimmick whatever you can do you have to do all those things to stack the odds in your favor because they have the advantage you're hunting you're a part-time deer hunter hunting full-time deer and think about it like I just mentioned it earlier they live in almost as far north as moose way down into Mexico and they survive 110 degree summers and 30 below winters and can survive just fine with ever never coming indoors so they're phenomenal at surviving, which yeah. is why you have to put all the odds you can in your favor. Incredible animals. They're incredible. incredible. Which is why all of us listening to this podcast and people watching the Drury Outdoors TV uh, stuff on the internet and the outdoor channel, like they enamor us because of how good they are at surviving. Yeah, yeah. It's not about it's not about us as the hunters. It's always about we've said it. It's always about the story about the deer. Yeah, yeah. The like you know Klondike or whatever you know October yeah following um following the story the history the cat and mouse and trying to catch up with one ultimately and then actually (laughs) executing your shot (laughs) which is a whole different ball I was gonna say that's a whole other podcast (laughs) that's right right. so I guess do we have anything else Jared or Matt that we need to touch on the trail camera front no I think that's 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 it The, the big deal is invest wisely in a trail camera if you you know there's some of them out there that are a little bit more than others but uh it's kind of like you get what you pay for yeah. like buy your clothes at nordstrom's versus kmart if you will your work or professional clothes you just sometimes you get what you pay for yeah. when it comes to those yeah. trail cameras like i said i'm still running the same 10 originals i got in 2007 from Reconics. Hey, i and i won't say who or what but i i you know we're friends with a lot of the buyers sure. for the you know cabela's bass pros dicks whatever and there's some that have very high return rates, you know, and there's some that, that don't. And uh, it just, it's it's usually price point driven. Mm-hmm. And I understand it, you know, you're a blue collar guy and you you're, you can't necessarily afford $400 on something, but you might be able to afford 50 or 80. Sure. But in that regard, you know, what if you saved up four times longer? <laughs> you, you know what right. I mean? It just, if it lasts eight seasons instead of one season, it probably equals out in the um, long yes. run. So. Just you know, one thing to think about. But yeah, deal is have them take the pictures. Don't intrude too much, and analyze what that picture is telling you. Not just buck, go shoot him. It's day, night, time of day, pressure. Think back historically. Go to some weather websites and figure out what made that deer walk mm-hmm. and why. Yes, that's that right there. That last word right there for me, I think, is like one of the biggest oh. important factors for any white hunter is always ask why. Why? If you do that for everything you see, observe, for whatever, you're going to become a much better deer hunter, I think. Absolutely. So I think on that note, maybe we should wrap this one up. Jared, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. See see you in the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, and a couple quick reminders for everyone watching or listening. Uh, If you'd like to send in your own question for a future episode, you can do that by visiting wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. You'll see all the instructions for exactly how to send in your own voice question to uh, to be featured on a future episode, which would be great. And then also make sure to subscribe to the audio version of this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Or, of course, you can watch the video version over at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. And from there, Matt, your updates? Yeah, so make sure, Jared actually uh, touched on it several times, we're doing a lot more Facebook Lives now that we're into the season. We're doing one every phase, whether Mark or Terry brings it to you, but we're trying to kind of dive into the tactics as they're happening. 
And so check us out on Facebook. As always, you know, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Drury Outdoors. And then, you know, the big thing I think is if you haven't subscribed to the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel, be sure to check it out. There's all kinds, besides the 100% Wild podcast, we have Taylor's Killing It in the Kitchen segments. We have the DOD TV uh, episodes and Klondike, Jared's uh, deer that he was just talking about that he killed last year, that's going to be on the next episode, hopefully maybe even the end of this week or early next week. So uh, it's that's never aired anywhere before, not on the Outdoor Channel, not on our DVDs, which we stopped doing the DVDs. So we're going to be doing more and more of this stuff on DOD TV, and we're really going to try to drive people to our YouTube channel. So be sure to check it out. And now that the fall's here, make sure and check out our journal on juryoutdoors.com. Uh, Justin's uh-huh. deer is up there right now. So we're going to do a couple updates here in a minute and get some video up. But you check know, us out. a little shameless plug for you guys over there at DOD. I've, I've kind of found a funny way of utilizing your journal because most of your hunters, not all of them, but most of them are all west of me in Missouri or Iowa or Illinois or somewhere like that. And lots of times I will see you guys on your team. You've got such a large team, it's a large sample size. You'll see the results of a cold front or a high pressure system or something roll through you guys and I know it's coming my way in Michigan or Ohio. So when I see Taylor and you or whoever is killing some deer over there, seeing some good deer, I'm like, all right, this is time it's to get in the tree. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Mark killed last night too, actually, yes, in did. Missouri. So I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten it up yet. Taylor's slow to get me the pictures. So <laughs> what's this can I hear about it? Yeah, he. It was. Uh, they were in Missouri. Taylor was filming Mark, which was hasn't happened. I don't know that they've ever really done that before. I don't think on a buck ever. They were in a tree, which is also rare these days. <laughs> and uh, he said that on his Missouri dirt, the dirt that he actually owns this year, they only have about three mature bucks. And this particular deer was one that he's seen for three, two or three years. And it's a kind of a, we call a roid. It's, it's one side's all jacked up and the other, it's not never going to amount to much of a deer, but it's mature. I think he uh-huh. said it's six and a half. Six and a half. Yep. So, um, this deer was coming out and Taylor's filming Mark and, and she says to him, she's like, you're not going to, cause he's getting ready. She goes, you're not going to shoot that. Are you? He goes, Oh yeah, I am. <laughs> he's like, absolutely. This is a trophy. So perfect footage coming to the biologic and perfect shot. And yeah. So that's one point I wanted to make there outsmarting a six and a half year old deer, no matter what his headgear yeah. is, is a major accomplishment. A getting him at a six and a half yeah. and then being able to shoot a six and a half year old deer. That is a major accomplishment yeah. no matter absolutely. what. Yeah. Sometimes we put too much emphasis on its actual score, and the score really should be how excited you were to pull the trigger. And yeah. if it's a ten, uh, pull that trigger. I bet Justin was excited oh, last yeah. night. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's the story, man. It was just uh, awesome. I think they're doing it for an episode of Killing It in the Kitchen, and they did the processing and they showed all the steps, the field dressing, and all that. So it's kind of going to be an in-depth episode on Bow Madness, like a Killing It in the Kitchen version of Bow Madness. So. Next summer. Yeah, next summer on Outdoor Channel. So it should Very be cool. pretty, pretty cool. Uh-huh. Did uh, did your dad kill another doe yet since we last talked? You know, I'm trying to think. He was – so last night he was drawing back on one and something happened. I forget what happened, but it took off and it dominoed the field and he never had another mm-hmm. shot. But he was fixing two last night. All right. I'm still waiting to hear how fast he field dresses it, see if I owe him lunch or not. <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, this has been a blast. I'm excited uh, to get out hunting now. I don't know about you guys. but <laughs> Yeah, here in a couple minutes. Yes. Let's go. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you, Jared. Thank you, Matt. And thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Thank you all. See ya.